Hello, I'm Ben Shaw, and you're listening to Out the Gate, the podcast about sailing and adventure on and around San Francisco Bay. I've never had to do this, and I hope I never do, but imagine having to send your family and friends a message saying you love them because you think you might not survive whatever event you're going through. Well, my guest this week had to do that twice this past year, once at sea and once in the air. I've been wanting to interview James Frederick for some time now, and we've been talking about recording an interview since before he shoved off from Los Angeles the first time back in June of 2021. Now, that trip was aborted when the self-steering gear aboard his boat failed, but he returned to the mainland and pushed off again in August of last year, and now he's made it all the way to the South Pacific. But his journey there has been anything but easy. Some of you may know James from YouTube and Instagram as James the Sailor Man or SV Tritea. And in July, Cruising World published a very nice feature on James by David Blake Fisher. James grew up in California, living on the streets of Los Angeles as a kid. Later, he worked as an artist and a musician, and it was on a residency aboard a sailboat cruising Scotland's Orkney Islands that he got hooked on sailing, and he never looked back. He purchased a 1965 Allberg 30 for $2,400 and poured love and sweat into fixing her up with plans of setting sail with his wife. But just before heading off, his marriage ended quite suddenly. James was shattered, but with his boat all ready to go, he decided to push on and set sail for Hawaii. Then a bit over halfway to Hawaii, two weeks into the passage, James lost all steering when his rudder failed. But he didn't give up, and a thousand miles later, he limped into Oahu. But how he managed to do that, I'm going to let him tell you. So let's get right into it. Hello, everybody. My name is James Frederick. You might know me as Sailor James. I'm a sailor currently solo sailing slowly around the world on a very beautiful boat. And the work you've done on her, you've put a lot of love yeah, into Yeah, I've invested boat. a lot of elbow grease in that boat. Well, let's go back to before you got this boat. How, what was the road to getting Tritea? Is so that how you pronounce it, Tritea? Tritea, that's the correct. That's correct. Actually, I'll go ahead and start with the name Tritea, I renamed the boat, okay. and I did a ceremony. But Tritea is the daughter of Triton, uh-huh. and she's the granddaughter of Poseidon. Oh, cool. And she was loved uh, by the war god Ares. Now, it's not the Ares of, of constellations, but... So, basically, I named her Tritea, pr- trying to bribe Poseidon and Triton to not sink her. That was like, <laughs> that's my motivation. Um, it's worked mostly it's, so far. Yeah, so far, so good. <laughs> but, um, so... I got interested and found out about sailing. I'd, I'd been interested in sailing for a long time. Always thought it was something that was impossible, out of range financially. Um, uh, actually, I was a cab driver in Los Angeles. We, <laughs> before, before we just started this interview, I was grilling. I was grilling James about being a cab driver because there's a thousand stories there that we're not even going to touch on yeah. in this podcast. Yeah, my, my <laughs> first, actually, my first book I published was about my time as a taxi driver. Wow. Um, but when I was a cab driver, I was looking into buying a sailboat to live on. 
And I remember very distinctly, a girl was like, you can't be a cab driver and live on a boat. You're never going to get laid ever again. And I thought that was hilarious. I was like, okay, I'll just be a cab driver, I guess. But so I'd been interested in looking at sailboats. I always thought it was out of my reach. Then cut to 2014, um, I was an artist in residence on a sailboat in northern Scotland called uh, Sailing Yacht Selkie okay. uh, under Captain Celia Bull, who's a brilliant captain. The program, the Clipperton Project, which I'm not sure it still exists anymore, but basically it paired artists with marine biologists and sailors. And then they would send them out for a month at a time and then see what happened. So artists would make their own work. They would collaborate on science stuff. Who did and this then, program? <clears throat> um, I can't remember the dude's name. It was like a very one sort dude, of, though. it was one guy. Wow. And he was actually from Gibraltar, I think, or I don't remember. I think it was just too hard to keep up with because it was a nonprofit. Yeah. yeah. But I luckily was given an artist in residence with them. And so I made a drawing machine that was a wheeled platter with a fixed pin. And so basically we sailed from Kirkwall, Orkney, uh, in the Orkney Isles of Northern Scotland, and we sailed between all the different islands. And okay. we would anchor and you know spend time on the islands, explore, and my drawing machine, I would make drawings for each passage. Oh, so cool. the wheeled platter would, draw, would move around and it would make abstract drawings from the sea's movement of the boat. You know, that was my planned body of work. And then I had a big exhibition in Los Angeles after the fact. But what really happened was when I got on that boat, my life changed forever. And I didn't understand what I was being given, especially from such a brilliant captain who had had crazy sailing experience. But I was getting this month-long, insane, real wild cruising experience like i learned how to anchor it was well, a high latitudes like a custom aluminum boat and, and what a crazy part of the world to i mean a special part of the world to get that exposure in too yeah the the orkney islands yeah like it's where you know all the names are viking and you know we even went like we went to north ronaldsley where it's like the further the further the most northern of the orkney islands there are the north ronaldsley sheep there that were brought by neolithic man and left there They've evolved to exist on being able to survive on seaweed because there's nothing else on the island. The only sheep in the world. Wow. So these are the experiences I was having on the first time I ever went sailing was this really intense, wild cruising. Was it the <clears throat> sailing or was it the, well, what was it about the experience that just hooked you immediately? It, it was the feeling, it was the combination of, I mean, I love to travel. Before that point, I think I'd been to 22 countries, so I've traveled a lot. Yeah. I love going to different places, experiencing new cultures, and just seeing kind of wild things that are unfamiliar to me. This idea that you could move around by the elements quietly and slowly, and you interact with nature in a different way, you add that to travel. And then, you know, my first experience was being in very wild place Yeah. that felt like, I've said it in the past in other interviews, it felt like time travel. Yeah. It was the closest you can get to time travel, like sailing into a city. Um, and I had a very similar experience years later where the first time I'd spent a lot of time in Monterey, uh -huh. driving through, going, visiting Cannery Row. The first time I ever sailed into Monterey, arrived by boat my relationship with the city changed. Isn't that amazing? It I is love that. So crazy. And it, you can't describe it until it happens to you. Yeah. 
And it, it, it a totally different perspective. It yep. seems like a different place. And now Monterey is a different place to me than it ever was. And I had been a dozen times yeah. before the first time I sailed in there. Yeah. And now it's a very special. I mean, it was always special, but now it's something different. I love that idea of time travel. And it is because you have to figure the things out not from a vehicle perspective. Like you land on shore as a person. Where's the grocery store? How do I get there? What's the bus? Who do I talk to? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's fantastic. So so that was like, you know, I spent 21 days. We did all the Orkney Isles. We sailed down to Stromness on the Orkney mainland. We crossed Pentland Firth, which is a very dangerous waterway for small boats. Okay. This boat was 42 feet long, aluminum, custom high latitudes boat, really cool boat. And uh, then we did, when at Inverness, we did the transit of the Caledonian Canal. So we went across Loch Ness and everything, and through the highlands of Scotland. So this was my introduction to sailing. You know, it's kind of, the bar was set extremely yeah. high. And yeah. I was like, oh boy, sailing's pretty cool. Like, you know, I didn't, it, it's not like I Yeah, it's I started all downhill out, from here. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, yeah, had I started out doing casual day sails or something, um, which I, you know, I did a lot of that after the fact. But then when right. I stepped off that boat, my life was changed forever. Well, and it's interesting because I think a lot of people are introduced to, to sailing through day sails or yacht clubs or and it seems completely out of reach and it seems completely different than what it can be right yeah absolutely if you have to go a lot of people if you have to go through that entree that hurdle it might just be completely off-putting yeah or maybe not even off-putting but just like oh yeah that's a you know that's nice well it's like yeah mini golf's fun but do i want to do mini golf for a living yeah exactly maybe not (laughs) That's, that's a good comparison. Yeah. It's not exactly yeah. the real thing. So you got back from that trip and you said, okay, I, I And so then I was this. like, sailing has to be my life. This is something that has to be very, uh, a big part of my life. So then I just started working to figure out how to get on boats. Started, Are you that kind of person who's like, okay, that's what I want. I'm going to reorient my whole life to go get that? One billion percent. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, you know... I had like, <clears throat> and I still had an art career after that. Yeah. I continued to, I actually had some really good success after that. But my focus was now on figuring out how to go sailing, you know. <clears throat> and I knew I had a lot to learn about the art of sailing. So I like went, you know, I went on as many day sails as I can on different, on different boats and figured out a way to get on local boats. And then I met someone who invited me to go racing, like the, the Corinthian racing scene in uh-huh. Los Angeles. So then I started doing that twice, and then I got on two boats, so that was racing twice a week. Nice. And then that's how you really learn how to sail yeah. is racing. Oh, yeah. I'm not a, I've said it before. I'm not a competitive person, but if you want to learn how to sail, you get on an amateur race team because you make so many maneuvers, and you get so accustomed to people yelling. Yeah. <clears throat> but Unfortunately, yes. Yeah. But you're doing it over and you over and over again. You do sail changes. You do so many tacks where, you know, if you could sail across an ocean at one tack. Yeah, you know, right. you might be on literally one tack for 20 days. So if you want to really understand how sailing works, get on an amateur race team. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I did that. And then I started getting on every sailor placement site I could put a profile on okay. for doing volunteering for yacht deliveries. And then I started crewing on every delivery I could crew on for free for like mileage building. Yeah. And I'd be like, you know, if you pay for the food, I'll work for free. And I think a lot of people don't realize that, that there are lots of opportunities to get out there sailing 
that you don't have to throw loads yep, of money at. Exactly. Yeah. And at the time, I, I worked in the art world for 20 years as an art preparator. And um, I was working for a gallery, and both of the owners of the galleries, one of the biggest galleries in Los Angeles, and both of the owners were sailors. Oh, sweet. And they actually had a 1965 Choi Lee for the gallery that I would skipper while they would take clients and artists out. <laughs> but one of, the, one of the owners had done the Transpac. So anytime a delivery came up, I'd be like, I need to take a week off for delivery. They're like, no problem. I didn't get paid, but right. at least I could have a job when I got But back. to have that flexibility. <clears throat> And when did the idea of having your own boat come into the picture? Was that from the beginning? From the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a very solitary introvert. So, yeah, um, yeah it was very, you know, <clears throat> it was always like, then I started researching and I knew I wanted like a blue water boat. So that was important to me. I was like, okay, it's got to be a blue water boat. I'm always going to be poor. So it's got to be a small boat um, and something I can keep up myself. So those were kind of the, you know, the starting point. And keeping up yourself, you obviously, you know, are tinker good with your hands been building stuff as an artist and other things that was something that you enjoyed or just that was that something you had to learn in terms of the boat systems yeah i mean i'd never done anything with fiberglass before i owned a boat uh -huh. i'd done lots of always owned owned vintage cars and vintage motorcycles okay so i knew a lot about mechanics and construction as an artist like i can build kind of anything yeah um so that stuff wasn't hard it was just learning the new sort of medium of fiberglass <clears throat> which was an expensive learning curve. But <laughs> I, I got like a junk Sabbath on Craigslist for like 40 bucks. It was totally shot. And I practiced on that and nice. like fixed it up and you know, would go sailing in the in the harbor with it and stuff, which is a blast. Well, your handiwork's <clears throat> gotten good. I've seen the uh, – it's f funny. We were – I was watching with my parents the other night some of your YouTube videos, and my mom said – no, it was my dad. He said, that's a nice Dodger. Yeah. Boy, people, especially the boat people, they, yeah, they get like, if it was a cartoon, their head turned into a wolf's head because it's like that Dodger is stunningly beautiful. Yeah. It was four months straight of me itching 24 hours a day. It was oh, so bet. gnarly. But it, <laughs> I, I knew it had to that. be beautiful, and I was very specific about what it look, had to look like, and I was very specific about it being overbuilt. So Yeah. Well, we're getting ahead of ourselves here. So, so how did Tritea come into your life? How did you actually find her? So, I um, actually like I had saved up a little bit of money towards my forever boat, and you can get like cheap boats in LA. You can get like Catalina twenty sevens for like two grand if you watch. They're going to be in a sad way, yeah. but you can get cheap boats in Southern California. Um, I didn't want to get a temporary boat. So I was like saving up and saving up. And then I had a very crazy thing happen where I was living in the same apartment for like almost 17 years in Echo Park neighborhood of Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. The landlord died. His wife sold the house quickly in probate and like a Beverly Hills law firm or like investment firm bought the property. Hmm. <clears throat> and renter's rights in California are out of this world. Yeah. And so this investment firm comes to me and they're like, okay, we bought the property we want to offer you X amount of money to move out in 30 days. Yeah. And I don't remember what they, originally they offered me $13,000. And then I was dating someone who owned three units. And so she knew the ins and outs. She's like, oh no, don't take you can that. get way more. Yeah, yeah. So I countered with $18,000 in 90 days and they like almost killed themselves trying to get me the paperwork. I was like, oh, I could have got 20, <clears throat> but so I got 18 grand for nothing because yeah, California has good renters' rights. I mean, technically it wasn't for anything because the market had changed so dramatically that yeah. when I did find an apartment, 
when I moved out of that place, I moved into a, the worst living situation I've ever had for $1,300 a month, where I'd been paying $900 a month for a gorgeous home. Mm. So yeah. it yeah. definitely, I was thrown into a different environment. So, But you had a windfall of a little <clears throat> bit more spending cash. Yeah. And so then out of that money, after like moving and, and all expenses and all that stuff, I had like 12 grand to buy a boat. And so... I started looking hard, and I was looking at a double ender in San Francisco, uh-huh. and mostly I was looking for Tritons, because I didn't think I could afford a 30-foot boat. A Pearson Triton. Yeah, Pearson Tritons. That was like, I knew that was a blue water boat. It was, it was not too small, which now, actually, they're not that small. They're, they're not that much smaller than my, I just did, delivered one from Kauai to Oahu the other day, uh-huh. and I was like, wow, this is not that much smaller than my boat. Yeah, so I was looking for Pearson Tritons. Beautiful and boats. They I are love fantastic. The lines of those yeah. boats. I was looking at, then there was a double ender in San Francisco that I was like contacting surveyors. I was going to get a survey done on it. Mm-hmm. And I don't even remember what it, make it was at this point. But, and then <clears throat> Tritea popped up, listed for $2,500 on Craigslist. It was only up an hour. And I contacted the dude. He was like, we can meet tomorrow morning. I showed up with cash in hand. What is she? She's a 1965 Alberg 30, hall number 55. She was pretty bare, but she hadn't been butchered. She had sat at the dock for six years that I know of and not moved. She had a seized engine, and she was kind of gutted. An I Atomic 4, or what was No, it? it was thankfully. It had already been converted to a Yanmar diesel. Oh, good. Uh, to GM20. So they had already made the custom motor mount and everything. So it had already been converted, but it was seized and, like, rusted kind of solid. All the seacocks looked like if you even looked at them, they would explode. And the sails were all, like, the original mainsail from, like, the 60s. It was, Gosh. like, yeah. Was it one of those booms that you, like, yep, turn the whole exactly. boom to reef? Yeah. yeah, and, like, nicely stretches the sail completely out of yeah. shape. Yeah, yeah those yeah. things. I, I know that. Um, yeah. So, but I looked at her, and she had good bones, no soft spots. There's no rain, really, in Southern California, so there was no water damage down below. Yeah, not in the past decade. Yeah, and so, <laughs> yeah, I bought her. And the guy, Stefan, who I bought it from, we ended up being friends because he, he lived on a boat in the same place. I bought it and kept it at the same scary marina. He felt like since I didn't try to talk him down that he was ripping me off. Oh. So he owed you one. <laughs> he slid me $100 and was like, I feel like I'm taking advantage of you. And I was <laughs> like, you know, and I knew that I just bought like a $20,000 boat for $2,400 is what I ended up paying that day. Wow. Um, but it did need a lot of work, but I still had 10 grand in my budget to buy an engine and to start everything. So yeah. that's imme- that's what I did immediately. was like, and within three months of that boat, me buying the boat and it sitting there for six years, I was sailing her past the lighthouse. Nice. Yeah. That must have been a lot of work, though, in it those was three years. A completely absurd amount of work because I was working full time at my job, too. So. Come home from working full time. Yeah. Then I would get to work. I would get off work. I would drive 30 minutes to the LA Harbor. Um, and I would work until midnight. And then I would drive home, shower, get up, go to work, and repeat for three months every day. And then weekends, I would work, yeah, 15 hours on the boat. But it paid off. It did, yeah. Somewhere along the line there, you started recording. Actually, I knew. I had already started making sailing videos uh-huh. of the deliveries. Oh, So okay. I started my channel in 2015. The first delivery I did was from San Diego up to San Francisco, moving the Intrepid, which is famous by Zach Sutherland, who sold it around the world as a teenager. Right. 
so the dude, this guy Tim, who had bought that boat twice removed from Zach Sutherland, okay. he had brought me on to help him and his son move it, you know, do the beat up the coast. Right. So that was my the first Baja delivery. Bash. And I filmed that whole delivery. Okay. And um, then edited that. And I was too shy to talk to the camera and too shy <laughs> to talk to other people. So the videos are very boring. They're basically just like music videos. They're terrible. But I filmed all of that and made a film, made a solid film, and then I made individual episodes. And I think I did, I don't know if I did voiceovers on it. They're terrible. But I did that, and then I crewed on a delivery from Puerto Rico to Bermuda, and then Bermuda to North Carolina. And I filmed that whole thing and edited that. And I think that one I did voiceovers on. And what year was this? So the San Francisco delivery was 2015. Okay. And then the that Bermuda trip was 2016. <laughs> Yeah, it was 2016. Are there any other big YouTube, like, had Delos blown up at that point yet? Maybe, but you know who I watched back then? The people that I started watching sailing yeah. was um, Distant Horizons. Oh, yeah. So I'd seen all of their DVDs or their stream on demand through uh, Vimeo or whatever the site was. I'd uh-huh. watched every episode. And, they're, and a lot of people don't know that. They created this medium. They did this way before anyone. They had a public access show on, in Canada. You could get their DVDs, but they invented this exact episodic medium of traveling by sail. And a lot of people don't know that in, that watch YouTube. So I watched everything that they Isn't did. Is that Distant Shore stuff on YouTube now? Can you go, uh, go back to They have a channel, yeah. yeah. And I don't, know, I don't know if they're old episodes, but they have a channel and they have a presence on Instagram and everything. They still make tons of videos. Okay. And it's more of a travel channel feel. It's a different feel than like contemporary YouTube videos. But I watched everything they did. And then (laughs) the other channels I first watched back then was Drake Paragon. Don't know. He, um, I was watching that dude. And then Life is Like Sailing, um, which is a really nice guy that lives up in Canada. Okay. Really quiet, like just beautiful stuff. Very low key. So that's what I kind of was like, oh, I should, that would be cool to document. So when I bought Tritea, I was like, okay, this is when I'm really going to start making an effort. And so I even filmed driving to see the boat, not even know if I was going to buy it. (laughs) And so I filmed every second of the, everything up until my first, until the first sale. And then my, within a week or two after I finally had it running, I took it to Catalina for the first time. And I'd already been to Catalina. I used to share a boat with my buddy, Neil. Uh-huh. So I'd already been to Catalina on other boats, but this was the first time I took my boat. Your boat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then once I did that, then I was like, okay, I've bookended the first chapter of this story, right? Yeah. So then that's when I started releasing the episodics, and I have only missed one Monday since that day. What? I've released a video every Monday, except one I missed when I was on my ocean crossing. Man. So I have like 300 videos. I mean, we up. were talking about this before we started recording. I was asking you, and you were saying, yeah, triples the time of doing every it any job. so gnarly. But you, you just stick with it. You just say, you know. But the thing you, is, it has to be like good content. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah. you have to, you can't just throw junk out there because right. like people will go away or, you know. And if you got people who are like dedicated to what you're doing, like you got to give them good content. So, yeah. What is it that makes you stick with it uh, obviously you have a lot of viewers now mm-hmm. who 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 and and now you have an income from it but mm-hmm. back when you were kind of feeling like okay this is a slog to put all this out oh yeah and i never ever in a million years thought i would make an income ever i never did it for that 
I did it because I enjoyed sharing things. And also I think it filled a void in my life where I'd stopped making fine art. Oh, oh yeah. So well, I have to make things. I, I love making that. things. That's why I do this podcast. Exactly. I'm no longer a professional journalist, but yep. I like to make things. Yeah. It, it feels really good to make things. Yeah. And even better, we talked about this earlier, even better, I get to make things and give them away for free. Yeah. Yeah. And so I never, I just, it's just what I do. I just like to make things. So cool. I filmed everything. And I mean, like I was a professional editor for a time, so I knew how to edit and yeah, it's just, you know, but the main thing is it filled that void of, of making beautiful things. This is a perfect place to plug your channel. Mm. How do people find and view your stuff? Yeah, you can just search, go to YouTube and search Sailor James. Sailor James. You'll find yeah. a couple of things on there. Cool. You're on Instagram at James the Sailor Man? Yeah, Instagram. Yeah. You can also, I think, search just, just Sailor James on Instagram, but okay. it's James the Sailor Man. Cool. Which is like, you know, like Popeye without the spinach. <laughs> without the spinach but you do eat your share of spinach i love spinach yeah, yeah. even popeye spinach i have on board it's very funny do you squeeze the can and it just I pops try. into your mouth and I, yeah i usually get yeah my eyeballs pop out but yeah you're now based in hawaii mm-hmm. and we've got a whole story of how of getting there when did you take off from i left for full-time cruising august 12th of 2021 okay but I actually moved aboard and was actually full-time cruising in June, um, my first attempt to the Hawaiian Islands. And then my wind vane right. failed offshore and like five days out, and I came back. And oh, um, then I spent a month cruising around Southern California, or two months cruising around Southern California. How much Not, of the downer was that? Um, it was, but I'm pretty chill. Yeah. It was, I just <laughs> shift gears. So it was like... Okay, that's a bummer, but I'm still getting to see beautiful things. You know, it's like, well, that there's nothing. It was out of my control. So I was like, okay, I'll just fix it. It's too late in the season to sell to Hawaii now. So I'm just going to cruise the California coast. So I was just right. like, well, I'll just change into it. It's a new chapter. You just, it's, well, especially with sailing, right? Yeah. It's cruising. You got to be flexible. You got it. Yeah. yeah. You, you can't set hard, hard plans. But you saying you are very chill. I just watched your hour special of your passage across, and we're going to talk more about this, so I'm not going to give too much away, but. You are so chill, man. You, ch- which makes the moments where you are not chill, yeah, really stand out. It, I, it gave me chills because I'm just high, like high contrast. Wah! Yeah, <laughs> he's re- <laughs> yeah. Wow. If I'm not chill, it's a very bad situation for sure. <laughs> bad or good? Like the ones yeah, that gave me when you saw true. land. That's true. Because I'm uh, yeah, I'm pretty like even keel. So then yeah, yeah. When I get real stoked, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So um, before we do, we talk about the passage. Let's talk about why we're because the passage is one of the reasons we're here. Yeah, we're sitting and, in and this. Yeah, where are we right we now? We are in this. Well, I'm gonna let you help me with this. We're sitting in this. Re- you, people might hear a little bit of an echo because we're in this vast room surrounded. But I think mostly oil paintings of square riggers. Hundreds. Hundreds. Hundreds of paintings, like. What is it? One, two, three, four stories tall. Yeah. In an atrium, I guess, or something. It's wild. I've it is very beautiful. Like in the gorgeous old seaport town of Annapolis, Maryland. That's right. And we're here because? We're here for the Ocean Cruising Club Awards Dinner yeah. tomorrow night, which we're both members of the Ocean Cruising yeah. Club. But one of us um, is. I, I res- am receiving an award yes. for the qualifiers mug for my passage, solo passage, 
of 2,300 nautical miles from Los Angeles, California to Honolulu, Oahu. Uh, I'm early here, but I'll congratulate you now. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> because um, it wasn't an ordinary trip. <laughs> <laughs> it was certainly not an ordinary trip. I left from my passage, Los Angeles, in August, which is very late season. Yeah. And I do not advise people sailing that late in the season and, like, keeping company with hurricanes. There was a hurricane track, and Hurricane Linda was directly below me, and I was watching it on Iridium Go. And, uh, yeah, not for the faint of heart. So I don't advise sailing that late in the season. But I sailed. Everything was peachy keen. And then... It wasn't the hurricane. It was not the hurricane. Hurricane, she did her own thing, thankfully. She left me be because there was other things in store for me. Yeah. On my 14th day at sea, I lost all steerage. I was actually at the helm when it happened, and the boat wouldn't hold course. So I was, like, out there. I was, like, what is happening here? You I could got not, tiller. And I had, Just I to had give my people wind vane. The, the picture. You're, I have a tiller, tiller. And yeah. I had a self-steering wind vane, which is an auxiliary rudder wind vane system. But it's a vintage one from 1972 called Salomat. It's their first model. Okay. Um, which was pretty finicky. But I could not get the boat to hold course. I was just getting into the trades. So I had following seas, and we know what that does. You know, it kind of throws you all over the place. I could not get her on course, and I couldn't understand what was happening. So I'm just hand-steering the boat, and this it was, you know, well, I was running with everything. So it mm-hmm. felt like the mm-hmm. seas and the wind was not a big deal, right? Right, right. It's all it behind It felt you. very chill because it was all following. So I'm steering the boat, and then it just, my hand just, just goes away. And it goes, the tiller goes all the way over. And as my hand goes all the way over, and I look at the tiller, the boat comes hard into the wind. Shit. And I'm beam on, I would think it was 20 knots apparent, and, you know, the seas that go with that. And then I just shook the tiller, and I was like, oh, no. And I hit record instantly. I was like, okay, here we go. What I first thought happened was I, ho- and I hoped, I thought there was like a little bolt in the tiller head. I thought that had sheared. Yeah. That's what I was like, okay, maybe they had sheared. Yeah. But I had sense enough that I was like, I need to see what's happening, because if I take that tiller head off, that shaft could fall into the ocean. Right. If I, I was like, I need to know what's happening. And so I rigged up the sea hook, a zip tied a GoPro on it. I put it in the water, and I could see the rudder was completely detached from. It was still attached. It, I have a my boat is a full kill boat, and the rudder is like a giant rudder that's attached on a large hinge the length of the almost the length of the keel Mm -hmm. but it's cut out for the prop right and then above that is where the tiller post is bent and used to be fastened to the wooden (laughs) rudder and the rudder is just on vacation it's just like going casually with the seas in the footage and i was like oh no i am 1000 miles from hawaii in the middle of the pacific ocean and i don't have any steering that's where I found myself. And you were surprisingly chill. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of people are like, you know, did you like totally have a spaz out, you know, off camera? Yeah. And the honest answer is no, I didn't. Yeah. I knew that there were no options for me. Yeah. And I've read every book I can get my hands on about sailing adventures with a focus on boats from 
and adventurers from the 50s and 60s and 70s. I really connect with that time period because they did everything with nothing. Yeah. It was all celestial. And they didn't have any perp to pull. Yeah. And so it's like, you know, and, and so that's kind of always where I try to set the baseline. I'm like, anything I have that's an advantage, like GPS or Iridium Go, all this stuff, like these are wild advantages I have over my heroes. Yeah. So, you know, for me, that's the baseline is like, you can do it with nothing. Um, is it comfortable? No, but you can do it. So that's always my baseline. I knew that there was no one to save me. Well, people have abandoned boats over less. Uh, and this brings me to a very good point. Every time I've read those news stories, every time I've seen posts about that or news reports of people abandoning ship and getting rescued by the Coast Guard, climbing on a cargo ship, and then their boat is found six months later still floating, I always am like, man, I would never do that. I would stay on, you know, and it's easy to say that, right? In sure, your home, we all like, say that. Would, we all say, that would never uh, be how me. How dare they? Yeah. That would <laughs> never be me. So I'm glad to say, I can honestly say that most definitely would not be me. Like, it's I would nice have to, to be yeah. like Johnny Depp at the top of the mast with that thing sinking out from <laughs> under me. That's a, what a great Both, scene. You know, that's like, yeah. that's, that I'm like, okay, maybe it's time to call for help now. But uh. um, yeah, I definitely, that was like, for myself, that was one of the, the pluses of that experience. Where I was like, okay, did you well, ever I know. go there in your head to be like, oh, I don't know if I can pull this out? I did, actually. That day, that very moment, after I saw what was happening, I suited up in a wetsuit and tied two tethers on myself, and I dove on the boat. I dove on the boat. The boat was rolling violently. The seas were, I'm guessing the seas were six to eight foot, probably six foot regular with eight foots every once in a while. The wind was still blowing 20 knots. So the boat was still moving. So it was completely impossible for me to get under the boat. And yeah. so many armchair sailors on online are like, well, why don't you just tie a rope around it and then you go about your way? Or even my favorite is like, why didn't you just balance the sails and sail all the way to Hawaii with the sails balanced? I'm like, that is super cute trick on a lake. But sailing for a thousand miles in the trades. With the swells. Yeah. Um, so I tried to dive on the boat. My plan was to try to wrap a line around through the hole is where the um, where the, the cutout is, is so yeah. that I could then run it up either side and oh, use it yeah. to steer. Yeah, yeah. That was my first attempt. Mm -hmm. Impossible. Yeah. I could not, you know, and I was worried, really concerned about getting knocked out. Yeah. That was my biggest concern. Well, I'm um, glad you had that concern. Yeah. <laughs> so that was the end from now on. I will have like a skateboard helmet on board. Oh, that's a good thought. Yeah. For that very reason. So. Not to mention there could be barnacles or something that come down and slash you But open. the main thing was getting knocked out. Knocked I don't mind getting out, yeah. cut up, getting yeah. knocked out and drowning. Super bummer. Yeah, big bummer. So, so I tried to dive on it that day. I climbed out. I knew it was impossible because the winds were still going. The original question was, did you have that thought in the back of your mind? Like, I, I, I'm done here. On the second day, yeah. I had that thought. Because I was adrift for three days before I worked out how to steer the boat. Yeah. The second day... So that day I got back on board, I was wiped. Yeah. I was wiped out. And from all, like I mentioned before, all the books I'd read, like Yves yeah. uh, Jelinas, who had capsized mm -hmm. in Alberg 30 mm -hmm. in the Southern Ocean. I think, I think Motissier did the same thing. So many people, the Smeetons, when they capsized, when they got the boat secure, they got all the stuff on those, so there was no damage of it getting hold, they went to sleep. So that's what I did. I. I actually deployed my drogue to slow my progress because I was sailing due south. Just beam on. 
Mm-hmm. I, I dropped my main um, so that it was um, just, I think, I can't remember, if, or maybe I just reefed my main way down and got mm-hmm. rid of my headsail. Mm-hmm. But I wanted as little forward motion as possible yeah. while also keeping the boat as stable. But I was stable. taking the beam on this, the, the seas on the beam all night. It was super violent. Mm-hmm. But I just went down and tried to sleep. I had to put in like headphones to try to drown out the noise because it was so loud. And I just tried to rest because I knew I needed the rest for the next day. Yeah. Um, That's smart. And then that next day, I got up and got out all my scuba gear. And the plan was, this, and the seas were still, it was still the same conditions. But I was like, okay, if I get scuba gear on, maybe I can sink with the weight and get under the boat and still breathe and be able to tie this off. And so I threw the scuba gear over with its own tether. I climbed over suited up in the water and as soon as i got suited up the drag was so great that it just torqued me out so hard from the gear and i was like you know and that's when you looked exhausted in the video when you came back up from that that was the only spot where it was like i thought i could have i could have died because i was holding onto the side fighting this you know this me being dragged behind the boat with all this gear and my arms pinged out yeah so they just ping and i was like oh no what if I can't get back on the boat? And I had a, I had a swim ladder down, but, right. still, but still, I was like, I don't gear. know if I can get back on the boat. So I got out of the gear as quick as I could and used the last of my energy to get back on board and then got the gear on board. And that's yeah. when that, that footage where I was just like, and so after I shot that, I sat in the cockpit and I looked in the cabin and I imagined it feeling with water as it sunk. Because if I, the only option was to, Call the Coast Guard to have my, because I had a Iridium go. So yeah. my, my brothers and my friend Sarah and Captain David Stovall and my whole shore team knew what was happening. Yeah. My buddy Noah Peffer, everyone knew. I was communicating with them the whole time. And actually, the first time I dove, I actually texted Captain David Stovall, and I was like, I'm not telling anyone what's happening right now. I'm about to dive, and if I don't answer, this is what happened to me. I want someone to know. So that there's a point of reference when I, if I vanish off the, I just stop all communication. This is, could be the cause. So I was communicating with them, but the, um, that next day I was like, okay, well, if I have to call a cargo ship, if I can't figure out a way to steer this boat and I get picked up by a cargo ship, because there's no one could say, the Coast Guard can't come save me. They would they would ask a cargo ship to divert. You climb on board. You're supposed to cut all the hoses on your boat and let it sink. Yeah. So that it's not a danger to other boats navigating in the same waters. Yeah. So I sat in the cockpit and I imagined my gorgeous Tritea, who I'd invested so much like of my heart and my time and my energy into to set up to go sail around the world to make my wildest dreams come true. And I imagined her feeling with water, this perfect boat who just had an Achilles heel going down. I just couldn't. I got to figure this out. <laughs> so, again, I was so beat. I just went down and rested. Yeah. I laid in my bunk. I read. I wrote. Then the next day, then it was like, okay, obviously there's no way to do this. Yeah. Um, and we had I'd already been, I, and actually, that first night, I had deployed my drogue. All right. right. Um, and the other funny thing that happened was the next day, after I dove, the, vi- the motion had been so violent that I was like, okay, I'm gonna. I have a rocker stopper, which is a like a, a roll stabilizer. Mm-hmm. Rocker stopper is like the brand name, and and I use it under anchor all the time. I used to use it in Southern California all the time because it's so rolly. 
So I'm like, okay, I'm going to try to just drag this off the side of the boat mm. to try to because dampen it was the rolling. rolls. Right, yeah. And so I'd take the – and I wasn't going to hang it off the boom. I was just going to hang it off the side of the, the, the rail. Okay. And um, I deployed it off the side of the rail, and the boat turned around. And then I, like, said every curse word that I had ever imagined. I was so – because now I'm pointing <laughs> the wrong direction. Did it dawn on you, like, maybe this is a way to steer the boat, or is it just pissed I, off that I, the boat No, turned? I knew that it was a way to steer the boat, but I hadn't thought about it in the big picture. Yeah. Because all I did was pick it up, I took it to the other side, yeah. dropped it overboard, and turned the boat around. Right. So, so I accidentally figured out that the drag would turn the boat with the rocker stuffer. Captain David Stovall and Captain Noah Peffer had been messing me, and they are like, you have a drogue on board, you can rig it up to steer with the drogue. And there was no way for them to send me images. So they were sending me different descriptions of ways to rig it up. Yeah. Luckily, I had everything on board for other reasons. So you took a pole. At fr- the, I'm just describing this from the video I saw. And you took your spinnaker pole? My spinnaker right? pole aft. I lashed it to the stern pulpit. Yeah. And then I ran my spinnaker sheets forward amidships or like on the, you know, on the beam yeah. as far forward as I could and then brought those back to the secondary winches. The spinnaker pole was used, they fed through the ends of spinnaker pole to keep the lines off of the wind vane. Oh, okay. So it wasn't a matter of trying to get a wider... No. It actually, if I hadn't track. had a wind vane, it would have been better to just run them, like, to... Um, a cleat on the stern. To the uh, amidship, you know. Um, it, amidship is the middle. Oh, but I can't oh, remember. Yeah, the, yeah, it yeah. was, like, in the middle of the beam. I can't remember the proper term. Well, but, you know, as far forward, if I could um, have done amidship. that... Amidship? I would think it's amidship. I think amidship is, like, in line with the boom, though. Oh, okay. I can't remember what this cross-section is. But... The middle of the boat on the on the rail. Yeah. So if I could have just run them there, it'd have been better because I could have actually pulled the drogue up further. Yeah. Than where I was. Right. And that would have actually you could have I could have maybe have it carried more tur- sail. It would have changed with the turning. Yeah, and also t- you could center. carry more sail. It wouldn't overpower it as easy. Okay. So, but I just did what I could. So then I have the spinnaker sheets. I have my drogue, which I just happen to have. I got out of a dumpster. At my junkie marina in L.A. <laughs> what did you call it? Squid something? Squidward. Squidward. It was called a sea squid, so I called it a squidward. <laughs> but, um, and so the first attempt, I put it in with no weight or anything. It was just tied to the spinnaker sheets, and I could not get it to work. It would just skip across the water. I could not, you know, and I was, like, getting so – I was so exhausted and, like, scared and terrified. And also I was trying to run it with my mane up – and my head saw. Mm. I could not figure it out. Remember, I'm, it's all following seas that I'm trying to go in with the trades. So I'm getting frustrated. I worked on that for like an hour, couldn't figure it out. And then the guys told me, Captain David Stovall was like, some people have a long length of chain to try to weight it down. I was like, okay. I had a scuba weight, like a belt, oh, scu- okay. a lead scuba weight. Yeah. So I took that and tied it on to the, the nose end of it and threw it over. And I kept trying, and it did better. It was creating drag, but I couldn't get to steer the boat. <clears throat> and Noah had taught himself how to do it in Southern California just because he saw it described. Uh-huh. So he was like, he went out and tried it, and he spent a whole afternoon learning. He's like, oh, that's a cool thing to learn. Well, that's just, helpful. Yeah, and so he said, what sail plan do you have up? And I told him, he was like, get rid of your main. He's like, you can't have your main up in the. He was like, because he kept backwinding. Yeah. Well, it was killing my head, so right. Oh yeah, and so going and it was like everything was off balance. And he was like, get rid of your main. And I was dreading it because I knew how what the motion was going to be mm-hmm. like without the main. Mm-hmm. I dropped the main, and within ten minutes, I was steering. 
just like that. It worked. And I held my breath. And I set my course. And it worked. I didn't say anything for an hour. And it held course dead on for an hour. <clears throat> and they were already texting me. Because everybody could see it on my satellite tracker. Oh. And even like people I grew up with back home. Because at this point, a lot of people were already really following my tracker. There was a pre-recorded video and post for Instagram and YouTube telling people where I was when I made it halfway. Because of what had happened before, Right. I didn't want to get halfway, so, you know, almost get there and then have to turn back and have to explain it. I'm like, I, I pre-recorded stuff. My little brother was ma managing my accounts. And I was like, release this once I, there's a point of no return. Because once you get in the trade, you can't turn back anyway. So I was like, once I get to this point, release these videos and tell people they can watch the tracker. And I was doing daily blog okay. posts talking about what I was feeling, what I was seeing, experiencing, feeling, all that stuff. A lot of people watch the tracker were like, especially kids, I, people I grew up with in Hobbs, New Mexico, my friend Chance and Dusty, because they got obsessed following it. But he said Dusty called him, Chance said Dusty called him, he's like, he figured it out. He's steering, he's, he's back on course. And he told me this after the fact. <clears throat> But, That's um, awesome to yeah. have that and then, kind of so, support. Like all of my shore team, they were like, oh, oh, because you can just see it like straight now. And then I'm going straight. And so then after an hour, I was like, I think I figured it out. And it only took me three hours to actually figure <laughs> How, it out. Do you think you would have figured it out without the shore team? I do. But I think it would have taken me probably a week. Yeah. And I think I probably would have. I think I first would have tried it with the rocker stopper because that worked so dramatically. Yeah. But I don't think I would have had the efficiency without those dudes helping me get the system dialed. Because yeah. I've talked to people after the fact. Actually, some people, someone from the Ocean Cruising Club wrote me, and they're like, they knew a couple that it took them a week to figure out with two of them working on it hmm. to get it to steer the boat. And I got it in three hours because I had two people yeah. texting me ideas. So I had like a, almost like a you know, brainstorming team. <laughs> It's amazing how it's that collective knowledge. And I mean I mean that's true for so much of sailing. I mean you talk about all the reading you've done and all the you know all the stuff in there, but it, it's those tiny details yeah. <laughs> that well, we need. I'd never even heard of steering by a drogue until yeah. I had to do it to save my boat. Yeah. Never even heard of it. I had a, I had the drogue on board because I planned eventually to go to Chile and I was like, oh, I'm going to be in the Southern Ocean. Right. I want a drogue. You know, that's literally the only reason I had a drug on board. Well, now you can pass that knowledge along to others. Yeah. yeah. And I did. There's actually, I have a full video telling everyone, teaching people how to steer with a drug. Oh, great. On my YouTube video and a PDF you can download, print out, and put in your chart table with all of the pieces, illustrations, everything. I made that like, it was the video re released right after my passage video. Because I, I think Jimmy Cornell did some study where he said the most, that rudder failure is the most common reason for a boat abandonment. Yeah, it's pretty nerve-wracking. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it hits home when you, you say you were sending a message saying, okay, if, if I disappear. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But that's not the only time you've sent a message saying goodbye. <laughs> I mean, seriously, dude. Most people yeah. don't have to do that in their I lifetimes, know. luckily. Yeah. Tell I have, like, a punch card of near-death experiences. What happened um, when you're on your way here? Yeah, just yesterday, actually. And it's funny you said that because my little, my baby brother, Colby Thorpe, who's been with me through all this stuff, yesterday morning, or yesterday after all this silly stuff happened to me, he was like, man, your life stresses me out. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to, I'm leaving work and going to the bar right now. Um, uh, yeah, yesterday. Well, it's better I, to have you to stress out about than yeah, not stress out that's about. That's true. So, right? um, yeah. 
and no fault of my own. Um, yesterday I was flying, trying to get here from Honolulu, and it was quite an ordeal, a bunch of different flights. Well, my flight, one of my layovers was in St. Louis. And I was supposed to be St. Louis to uh, Baltimore Airport, BWI yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So we're on the plane. We fly to Salt Lake City at like 6 in the morning or something. And um, we get to, which I found out the actual information today because there were news stories about it today on like all the major news organizations. Never good when there's a news story about yeah, the flight you're on. When you so. see an article, on the, someone sends you an article in the Guardian about the plane you're on. The windshield of the airplane shattered and it didn't blow in, but I guess there are multiple planes. You know well, what that is? For that very they reason. They didn't have you make the dodge. I know, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so one of the windscreens ex- kind of explodes. So wow. it's like, the funny thing was I was on the back row, and there was a couple sitting next to me. We're flying, and the girl on our seat says, whoa, did I miss something? She was like, look at the, the flight plan. And I had it open because I wasn't watching anything. I was writing on my laptop. And it said 14 minutes to destination, and it had us turned going to Denver. And so I leaned back, and the stewardess was, like, scurrying, trying to get the, all the, like, food put away, and very nervously. And I was like, are we landing in Denver? And he looked at me, and he looked very scared, and he was like, yes. And he grabbed the phone and held the phone to his ear and said, are you going to make an announcement? Shit. And I was like, what is going on here? And then within two minutes, the pilot comes over, and he's like, our windshield, uh, very unusually, I've never seen this happen, it spiderwebbed and has cracked. So we have to make an emergency landing in Denver. And then we dropped from 30,000 feet to 5,000 feet in short order. My thought was, like, if that window blows out, we're all dead. Right. Because those dudes are going to die. So no one will be able to steer the boat in that cockpit if one of those, you know. You just said boat. <laughs> Did I? Yeah. There you go. There you one go. Of the, but that's, yeah. that gets to my next question. It's a little different than being on your own boat where you're in control. Yeah. Did you have – I mean, different people react in different ways. I, you know, I feel out of control on an airplane and in control on a sailboat. Mm-hmm. Did you? What was the mental reaction? Um, I was – I'm pretty fine. I'm okay with dying. So I'm an existentialist, so – yeah. Like, I've done a lot of cool stuff. Yeah. Like, I'm chill. <laughs> like, I have no regrets in life, and I've seen a lot of beautiful things and done a lot. I have a lot of really cool memories. People were, like, sobbing. The stewardess came over, and she was like, please, everyone stay calm. And we were dropping fast, so the pilot was obviously very nervous about what was happening. I just texted my brothers. I was like, I love you guys. This is what happened to the plane. If we crash, I just love you guys, and I'm chill. Like, everything's chill. Like, we're cool. Just, I love you. And that's it, you know? That was it. And so then my older brother instantly got on something and watched our descent. And he was like, you guys dropped so fast. So he was watching, I don't know what program he's using, but my brother works for the NSA, yeah. so there's no telling what program <laughs> he, was no, using. he was He's tracking <laughs> us right now. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, he no, was like, he said, boy, we dropped real quick. Man, let's let's keep the next trip a little oh, man. more chill. I'm trying to have boring <laughs> trips from now on. It's like, <laughs> you know, I want to have like nothing to write about. Wow, but that makes me think though. Your brother tracking you. It's it's such a different world we live in where everybody can follow everybody's movement, whether yeah. you're on an airplane or a boat, all the time. But that that's part of 
your gig though sharing your what you're doing yeah absolutely that's part of the beauty of yeah. it too and that was a funny thing is like the one thing i really loved about my tracker blog for the passage mm -hmm. was it was something different than what's happening in our everyday lives i had an abrupt into my marriage right before i left yeah. so my whole life was destroyed yeah and that was sort of like the thing i was like okay i'm putting to sea and yeah. so that was my reason for leaving. The thing I loved about the, my Predict Win Tracker was that I was able to share blog posts about seeing birds, uh -huh. about losing steerage, or about what I was feeling about my heart being broken. And the best part was that there was no back and forth. So oh. no one could comment, and I couldn't uh -huh. hear anyone's thoughts, whether it was like people giving me niceties or telling me to whatever, you know what I mean? Right. It was one-sided conversation, which does not happen in social media nowadays. That's so fascinating. Very, so there was still was, a solitude for you. Absolutely. And it was like 1,000%. You know, And the only people that had my ability to contact me through Iridium Go was my shore team. No one else had that number. Yeah. So it was like my brothers and my friend Sarah and Captain David Stovall and Captain Noah. Are you looking forward <clears throat> to that again, setting off? I'm pretty homesick to get to sea. Yeah. Yeah. It's like when I stand on the on the beach in Hawaii and look out in the open ocean. I definitely I like, oh boy. Oh boy, I can't wait to get out there. Yeah, I love the solitude of it. Even more so if everything works perfect. But the interesting thing was people got really, a lot of people contacted me after the fact and they were like, man, I got obsessed with the tracker. I still have no way to know how many people watched it, but from the amount of people that messaged me and told me they watched it, it was a lot of people. Huh. They were like, I would wake up in the middle of the night and like refresh to see where you were. And so I talked to some of my closest friends. I was like, this is funny. Like, what is this phenomenon? Because it was people I didn't know. It was people I had met casually in my past lives uh -huh. that didn't care about sailing. Yeah. That didn't ever love me as a person. Right. So they have no investment, but they found themselves just locked in. My buddy, Dane Johnson, he said, well, the interesting thing was we were watching a story be written that no one knew the end, the end to, yeah. including yourself. Yeah, which that's was like, rarely true. Yeah, and then my it's friend Carlos said it was like a pulp true. cereal. You know, he was like, every day I'd be like refreshing, yeah. seeing if you had made a new post, you know, because I was writing a lot. And the, and was it particularly hmm. after the rudder accident? No, the whole time. The whole time. Yep, hmm. yeah. And some people that knew, because I always had it public, so some people that followed my channel randomly checked and saw what I was doing yeah. before the announcement. Like a couple of people were like, oh, we, I knew you had gone because I saw on the tracker, oh, look, he's heading to Hawaii. Yeah. That was like That's the most interesting thing. It was like a voyeuristic watching someone's life unfold in real time in the wild. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, it was something I didn't expect. And even more fun that there's no way for me to know how many people were dialed into that. Yeah. It's almost because especially in the age of like analytics with my YouTube channel and everything, I know exactly how many numbers are moving. But for that, it was totally just like I put it out there. It's like a message in the bottle, right? Right. Just <laughs> it's just like I just oh, what threw a great it out analogy. there. Yeah, it's just, Throw the message out there, yeah. the little dots across the ocean, your mm -hmm. breadcrumb. All right, James, this has been amazing. Is there anything that, um, that we haven't touched on that you um, want to talk about? Yeah, just check out the YouTube channel. There's a lot of past episodes, and then I'm going to be sharing my life circumnavigating. I'm heading to the South Pacific next. I'll be working my way through the South Pacific and then hoping to end up in New Zealand by November of this year, which is, this is 2022. All right. So that, and I'll be sharing all of that 
both on on video format and in the written word. I was going to say, keep an eye out because you're doing more writing. I've yeah. read it in the Flying Fish, which is the Ocean Cruising mm -hmm. Club's newsletter, but it's going to be... Yeah, I have like four articles that are done that I'm pitching to various publications. In nice. fact, the Flying Fish has one for the December issue um, cool. of some of my adventures in Hawaii. And um, yeah, I plan on... I have a lot of, of, of writings. And then all the, the blog that we talked about earlier. But I, you've, I you've turned your um, your log into a book, too, yep, if people yeah. want to purchase a, that, a right? A perfect, perfect bound book. And you can you can find info to all that on svtritea.com, which is really hard to spell, so you might want to look at the show notes. <laughs> okay. <coughs> Thank you, James. We'll keep following the adventure, and congrats again on the OCC Award. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. that's why we're here, to that's get the here. award, and hopefully I never have such an exciting passage ever again. As James mentioned, you can learn more about his travels, find links to his books, his videos, and his contact info all on his website at svtritea.com. Tritea is spelled T-R-I-T-E-I-A. As always, I'm Ben Shaw, host and producer of the show. Thanks for listening. Drop me a line at outthegatesailing at gmail.com or find me at Instagram at outthegatesailing. I love hearing from listeners. And until next time, smooth sailing.